With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to another brand spanking new episode of uh rock of nation podcast this is dive cuts we are in season uh four episode nine and uh this is the mizzou celebration podcast uh all things at missouri basketball are positive uh cheers pop the champagne matt uh, everything we've ever wanted here in front of us, it all happened uh, just last night. Mizzou beat the uh, previously, probably not for very long, uh, 21st ranked Oregon Ducks um, in fairly convincing fashion, I would say. Uh, it was fun to watch basketball for a while. Tim, I just have one question, though. And we got to air it out right now. And I know it's not going to be pretty. I know it's it's going to be um, controversial. And it, it might tear at the very fabric of our um, podcasting relationship and our friendship. Something that a rift, not even bourbon, can heal. Why isn't Torrance Watson getting more minutes? Oh, man. It's like it, it cuts deep into my sad, sad soul uh, that that Torrance is not... Not the guy that I think we all kind of thought he he could be, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, it's a pall hanging over this victory. <laughs> hey, look, 
Uh, Torrance was really kind of recruited to do one thing. Um, he kind of became not very good at that thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, I think what you kind of look at in the rotation, and we've talked about this, but, uh, like, Drew Smith is going to play a lot. Xavier Pinson is going to play a lot. Mark Smith is going to play a lot. It doesn't leave a lot of minutes uh, on the perimeter. Um, and a lot of those minutes are going to kind of come down to Javon Pickett and Torrance Watson. And right now, Javon Pickett is just more consistent. Um, I asked that happened just because I said the same thing. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know... Drew Blood. It makes me sad, Matt. It, it, it really does. does. It like makes I'm... me sad as well. But I, it, and I promise we'll get into other stuff. This is supposed to be a funny bit. We don't have to talk about it for very long. <laughs> um, but, but it's a it's a funny bit about like a very very sad thing. Because um, I I mean by all respects, like Torrance is a great kid. hard worker. He loves the Mizzou program. Like you you it it's so easy to cheer for him. Uh, I maybe something will happen and. And it'll all change, but uh, I the, the the trends certainly aren't good. No, and to throw that in, they they're also using Drew Bugs to keep uh, the wheels from falling off their other two point guards. So that's if you have an eight or nine man rotation, five guards is kind of the top end of the ceiling there, unless you just you know find a way to completely change um, the way the staff conceives of that wing spot or they decide to play four guards which um i've advocated for several years i think is a great second unit idea you know over the past couple of years the on you know the you know the lineup data has supported it um you know you look at synergy data it kind of backs it up but that's that does not appear to be something that the staff is gonna you know go all in on so if that's the case, you have one wing spot and you're going to rotate Mark Smith and Javon Pickett through there quite a bit. So it's it's just a it's a minutes crunch. Um, and the only way that changes is if Torrin starts banging in shots at an elite clip. But um, as far as the overall performance last night, did what they needed to do probably sounds like an understatement, but... Um, <laughs> I, but, but, well, so we were talking before the pod, and I, I think, like, neither of us wants to, like, take away from the joy of watching Mizzou beat a good team on a neutral floor. Like, you should absolutely be very happy about how they played, uh, how the game went, what they accomplished. Um, but I think one of the things that I sort of, you know, like, as you watch games, uh, you tend to kind of get caught up in the ebb and flow and that's one of the things that i've always sort of liked about writing study hall is study hall allows you to kind of take a step back from like the emotional aspect of the game uh and really like the excitement of uh, a game like that where you win you beat somebody um the, the kind of team that missouri really hasn't beaten for a lot of years um and you just you, you look at it from just a st- statistical standpoint and realize that Missouri didn't play great. And I think like that's the thing that I my biggest takeaway is is not only did they beat a good team 
And I'm I'm not sure like Oregon's not a great team, but they're a good team at at least. They have good players. Um, they they're going to contend for a Pac-12 title. Pac-12 is not great, but uh, they're a team that should be in the NCAA tournament. And Missouri beat them by playing what I would amount to probably like their B game. I would consider this like an average game for Missouri. I think it also has to factor in and, and that you have to look at what Oregon's lineup was looking like that night, last night too. And now, you know, LJ Figueroa, a guy that they were going to probably lean on to, ironically enough, probably play Eugene Amarui's spot, didn't get his waiver until a, today. So thanks NCAA for being a little bait on the <laughs> little late on the waiver there, I guess. I mean, maybe that's a small, you know, um, you know, redemption coupon from Drew Smith's waiver. I don't know, but um, yeah. yeah, the, so the ducks were shorthanded with, you know, with, you know, we learned, you know, minutes before tip off, basically that Will Richardson, probably their best player was out with a thumb injury. Jalen Terry, a really, really good prep point guard is banged up and, you know, couldn't really give them the depth. And you could really see that last night. Like they didn't have, you know, Amarui had to carry the offense for large chunks to offset Richardson, not being there. They, you know, Oregon struggled with turnovers midway through the first half that helped them. You open up a gap, you know, would have been nice to maybe if, you know, Chris Duarte's having, Chris Duarte's having problems there or Amari Hardy's having problems to be able to say, Hey, Jalen, get out there. Let's get another set of, you know, assured hands on the floor. They couldn't do that. Um, Figueroa could have been a guy who maybe would have been a little bit more perimeter oriented. Amaru is an undersized four who can drive from the elbow and kind of bully guys, but you could have maybe isolated Mitch in space with Figueroa and that could have, you know, given you some extra scoring punch there. So I'm talking about Oregon a lot to say this, you play the team that shows up and if Missouri's an NCAA tournament team and you know, Oregon shows up with that kind of rotation, you know, where they're having some gaps and some depth issues, an NCAA tournament team takes advantage of that. You know, did they play perfect? Did they play clean in every, you know, phase of the, of the game last night? No, but they did what they needed to do and what an NCAA tournament team does, and they took advantage of an opportunity on a neutral floor to get a quality win. And so it wasn't perfect. Oregon wasn't in its best shape, but at the end of the day, Missouri got the result it needed. And I think I said last night on Twitter, and, and hearkening back to what we said a couple of weeks ago, Missouri's season really comes down to can you flip three or four results into your win, into the win column? And, you know, a game where you're 38% win probability, if you flip that, that alleviates pressure somewhere else. So it could wind up being a quad one win for them. Um you know, it's on a neutral floor, which helps that those look even better to the committee. And if you get into SEC play, now you've bought yourself a little bit of insurance if there's a bump there. So we, we can talk about the specific phases of the game in specific instances, but I think my top level thing is there was an opportunity to, you know, take advantage of a shorthanded team that could grow into a quality win, and they did it. And that's something that this team has kind of struggled to do over the past couple of years. So that in and of itself should make people feel happy. Well, and on, on top of that, it also, um, I think, de-emphasizes, you know, the need for a win in bragging rights. Um, and while I still think that that 
they can beat Illinois. Um, you know, Illinois has gotten a lot of really positive press in the preseason, but I think we saw, like we saw, especially against Baylor, that I mean, Illinois is going to be really good this year, but they're not elite. Uh, you know, I think if you're kind of looking at, you know, like I think we are all Ken Palm fans um, on the pod here. Um, but one of the things that like was always interesting to me about like the preseason projections of like the media, uh, all the people that are, you know, doing like, you know, hand picking versus the data guys is the data guys were, I mean, they thought Illinois was going to be good, but like top 25 good, not like top five good. And a lot of the folks in the media were like projecting this top five or top 10 team when that's like Illinois is bringing a lot of pieces back from a good team, but they were like, they were still like, I think 30th in Kempom last year or 30, low 30, something like that. So they were a good team. And this is like, I think part of my argument, um, you know, against some of the <laughs> overt excitement of the SEC coming into the season is, is there weren't any like elite teams that were bringing back a bunch of NBA players. Um, there were some teams that were okay, that were bringing back a lot of people. And those teams tend to be slightly better than they were a year ago. Um, and this is where I think we can kind of get into the argument for like why I, I uh, and not necessarily surprised about the result for Missouri, but while I feel a little bit almost like vindicated by it is because, I mean, two years ago or, or, you know, last year at this time, I think that we felt Missouri had the potential to be an NCAA tournament team. And they obviously fell short of that. They, they fell significantly short of that. Uh, a big factor of that was due to their health, but an even larger factor was the fact that they just couldn't hit the broadside of a barn um, from three-point range. But we still believed in the talent of the team uh, and just thought that they had a, a little bit of a rough stretch and that they, they should be better. And I think the version of Missouri that we thought we were going to get last year, we've seen uh, so far this year. And, and so that's that's sort of like, uh, I guess, a roundabout way of, of why I think it's not surprising to me to see Missouri playing better than maybe people expected. Uh, and and also why, like, I think bragging rights is going to be a hell of a yeah. game. And, you know, we, for, you know, the day that they opened up the season, I published a big, long thing on the pick and roll offense. And I think the, the one silver lining of last season, I think I told you that as I was writing it is, they had multiple theses kind of disproven. They thought early in the season, we're going to play off the post. We're going to you know, run this Villanova-style offense that's going to be four out, one in. And we're going to play off the bigs. We're going to run some complicated screening actions. We're going to stretch defenses, and that's going to let our guys get into gaps. They didn't shoot it well enough at all to do that. Tillman goes down. They try and keep some version of that offense going. And then they get there, and, they, and then as, as everyone's written about, including us and anyone that follows Missouri basketball, they wrote about, you know, they went to a heavy pick-and-roll offense, and the question was, how much would that become the base offense this year? For large stretches, it is. Um, there are stretches where they'll still kind of go back 
to kind of that more off-screen, off-ball movement type of approach. But I think the bigger deal is, and I'm going to toot my horn here, is I wrote back in May, they should really look at Marquette and Creighton for how they can, and Iowa and some other schools, for how they can get the pace up off misses. And if you watch some of Missouri's transition offense, some of the sets they run are pretty dang close to what Marquette runs. And I think that's been the biggest thing, is there's been a commitment to playing faster off misses, a commitment to attacking earlier in the offense, a commitment to playing downhill a bit more. I think we can talk about on the defensive end, they don't just sit in gaps. They're not just a gapping scheme anymore. They will get out and they will apply on-ball pressure. They will try and get in, get in passing lanes. They will try and create transition opportunities for themselves. I think the one thing that I've been heartened by isn't just seeing that the personnel kind of live up to what we thought they could be, but seeing the staff sort of, I think, not look at last year and, and you know double down, but say, let's take a real hard look at what we're doing with this personnel that we like, and let's not be afraid to sort of let that be where we take the offense and where we take our defensive approach. And they don't sell out on what they do. I mean, they will still, for large stretches also in certain lineups, still kind of settle into gaps, still play positional defense and do stuff. But there's an evolution now, I think, to where that they've tried to, I think, really understand what they have on their hands, really look at the personnel they've got, and build a system that fits it. And I think, over the again, small sample size, it's two games. But I think I said in the first game, I've never been so happy to see drag screen actions. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's what Jeremiah Tillman... And Drew Smith are built to do, and they were running it, and it was getting them into good offense. And so it's just when you see, you know, you know the staff kind of get to where you think that you want them to be in terms of using guys, and see it succeed, and see guys, you know, get some traction with it. I think that's heartening, and and you know we'll see how much it continues. We'll see how committed they remain to it as the season goes on. But just stylistically, I think it's nice to see them sort of get to a point where they've, I think, figured out what's the best way to optimize these guys and to try and get the best results. And and in a way that you were saying, they don't have to play perfect for it to work. That it's that they can still keep enough of core tenets and philosophy in there, but the tweaks still allow them to be successful, even if everything doesn't go to plan. So I think that that's, that's particularly heartening as well. Yeah. And, and in recent years, um, they've been in a position where like in order to win games like that, it, they'd have to play perfect. Like they would have to, you know, shoot the ball better than they would on an average night. They would have to, they have to shoot it well enough to offset the turnovers that they were, the possessions they were bleeding out. With yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know, we, that's actually one of the reasons why I added in, um, you know, the possessions, um, you know, minus turnovers, uh, to basically kind of give people an idea of how many points they were scoring um, when they weren't turning the ball over uh, to, to save. They could just clean up the ball handling. It, look, like you could actually see productive offense. And sure enough, uh, you know, against, against a, you know, a, a team that has at least a, a good reputation, um, Missouri did that. I mean, like it, it's sort of been... I guess stated before by several people about uh, you know the turnover rate, but one of the things that I actually 
I, you know, and I'm sure there's at least a handful of our listeners that <laughs> probably have already read study hall. So I don't want to just go back and like read it, but I, I really found like the point that I went, went back and looked at how many game box scores that Missouri had over uh, a 20% turnover rate uh, and was surprised that there were none, no games with under a 10% turnover rate. Now they were, they were right at that edge at 9.9%, but still like they, like Missouri played as clean of a ball handling game as we've seen this team. And even, even against Oral Roberts, they, they kind of kicked the ball around a little bit. But I think what you see is, is you see the evolution of, um, of the roster with, uh, with Drew Smith playing less of a on-ball role because he can give the ball up um, to, to, you know, Xavier Pinson, to Drew Bugs, uh, and even to, to Mark Smith, who I think, uh, you know, several times they were able to just sort of kick him the ball uh, when there was some full-court pressure. And, and, and so this is kind of one of those things where they, like, you hear people talk about, oh, like, he's six foot seven in, uh, in, high school and he's bringing the ball up the court and it's like well i mean that that happens a lot because he, he's he's a good athlete and the guy who's guarding him is another post player who's probably like a slow you know six four white kid who <laughs> who's, who's really like you know better on the football field as an interior lineman or something like that um, I mean, everybody had the, those kind of kids in high school, right? You know, the one one who played multiple sports and was slow as all hell uh, in basketball, but good football player. Um, so that's why you can have like your your athletic six seven you know kid bring the ball to court because he's not going to get he's not going to get pressured. He doesn't have another point guard guarding him. Um, but just having those other release valves, having Mark Smith who can bring the ball, uh, you know, against the other team's wing as opposed to you know drew smith possession after possession bringing the ball up against the other team's point guard uh it, it's going to alleviate a lot of pressure and and that's going to help the entire team finish games and and clean up their ball handling and i, I think when you look at even though like everybody was kind of getting nervous at the end of the game as oregon kind of whittled the lead down uh, missouri never seemed to panic because they had who they needed on the floor taking care of the ball. And you also know that all those guys that take care of the ball, they all shoot really well from the free throw line. So even though like Oregon kind of trimmed it down, to me it it, it never felt like Missouri lost control. Yeah, and we talk all the this is where we've, you know, said I think Drew Bugs is going to show up because think about it in the second half, Missouri blunts the run, you know, you know, Pinson's, you know, helped kind of claw them back in and, you know, extend the lead again. That takes some effort to hold off. Missouri can look down the bench now and go, okay, Drew, go in. Go give us four minutes, three or four minutes. Let let X sit. We're going to push Drew off the ball so he's not having to be the primary one to initiate offense. We're going to ease that workload. But we're still going to have Mark Smith on the floor, so we're still going to have three you know, three seniors out there. We're going to have two, you know, really, really sound ball handlers. And we're going to be able to, you know, give one of our other guys 
our best attacking slasher a break. Like, just to have that flexibility back is big. So, Drew Bugs only plays nine minutes, but the minutes he plays are absolutely important because they help Missouri right when Oregon decides to ratchet up from a token press to a little bit more of a 2-2-1 or a little bit more of a 2-1-2, where they're really starting to trap the corners and they're not just trying to stop Missouri from getting into early offense. That's That's been the difference this year, too, a little bit, is they've got a way now where, where you know, Martin can look down at his lineup and say, all right, I feel good here. We're going to be okay. And, and I think that gives the rest of your guys confidence to know that, okay, we've got three guys on the floor that know what to do. They understand the press break. And if we get past, and if we you know break it, we're going to get some easy buckets on the back end. And then game pressure flows back away. And so I think that was the, the heartening thing last night was I think they just handled game pressure really, really well. Um, they opened, I th- I'm looking at the kind of flow right now. After five minutes and it's an 11-10 game, they put Bugs on the floor. Bugs does a really, really good job being in place positionally defensively. And that freed up Drew to start kind of roaming a little bit, to start pinching in and swiping, to start sitting in that top side gap near the top of the key and you know picking off lazy passes. That helped them open it up in that eased game pressure. You know, they you know, have a guy in Mark Smith now who's on the floor who can handle a little bit. And so if things bog down offensively, you know, he can not only spot up, but he can drive it a little bit. And that can, again, that's a guy who can go create some offense that takes some pressure off of you. So I think that's just the biggest thing I saw last night is it's not just that the personnel is playing better. It's that they've got guys now who can sort of, I think, put the onus on the other team and put the pressure somewhere else. And I think that's something that, over the course of a season, imbues you with that confidence. You know, the guys talked about last night in postgame how there's a little bit more confidence with this group, how they're a little bit more assured. I think part of that comes from the fact that in those moments, you know you have the personnel and the right guys to make the right play for you. So that was that was sort of the other heartening thing is to see the staff look down and go, okay, we've got an option here. And then those guys come on and execute. So just overall, a, a different level of comfort and some experience in those situations. And uh, it's really nice to have a healthy Mark Smith. Um, that, that's uh, always you know, I think there's all kinds of references to, uh, you know, the, the the bounce that he had. I mean, the nice uh, alley-oop dunk he caught against Oral Roberts was certainly evidence of that. Um, but one thing I think that I've been really impressed by is basically like the, the defensive end and how Jeremiah Tillman manages his body um which is something that i like so i made reference that i've had a little bit of a typo <laughs> um i'm pretty sure that was an autocorrect i must have typed something incorrectly and it's like oh you meant verity and like i don't know um but i was basically talking about how you know tillman tillman has has never really done a great job of of you know using the plane of verticality and so for people that don't know what verticality is, is essentially there's a rule saying the uh, defender has a right to the plane of verticality, which is essentially his space all the way up. Um, Imagine a wall. Yeah. So if you just put like an invisible wall right in front of that defender, that defender is entitled to the space where that wall is and behind him. Um, so if an offensive player jumps into that space, e- even if the defender is, uh, is moving, 
uh, they're not going to get a foul call. And there were several times where, and, and really the last couple games, where, where Tillman has been put in position uh, where in the past I think he would very easily break that plane of verticality and, and, and you know going for a swipe or a block um, or just more jumping into the offensive player. And the way that he's been able to finally fix this is, I think, a really huge key for him in staying on the floor. Um, I think he, he got a foul early on in the, in the maybe midway through the first half where he was he was incredibly vertical, but his body position was late in getting to meet the offensive player. So yeah, so it was it was a foul, but he was still completely vertical, which I think like that's a really good sign that even when his positioning was late, he was still in the in the right space and and used his used that plane of verticality, uh, and and then I think. Several minutes later, it happened again, where he was help side rolled over and used the plane of verticality and did it successfully. And I mean, I, I think the guy got the shot off, but he he missed the shot badly, and Missouri got the rebound. So I think when we talk about like Jeremiah Tillman and his headspace and all the things that he's doing so much better, uh, that is the thing that has really stood out to me because Jeremiah Tillman on the defensive end for Missouri just is is such a key for this team and, and what he's able to bring as far as a rim protector, uh, a defensive rebounder, uh, and defending uh, physical players down the post. And, I, you know, if, if this Jeremiah Tillman was playing last year, then I, I think we would have had the team that I think we kind of expected uh, them to have. But, but just him being a part of this team, playing that way, uh, if he can keep it up, man, I, I, I think you're you're looking at, at one of the, the better big men in the SEC. On the offensive end, I think he's gotten – you can see the patience show up there too. Though, you know, Missouri doesn't give him as many early post touches, but they've still found ways within kind of like the second action of a series. Sometimes like out of roll replace or sometimes they'll have like a guy pop from the elbow – catch and then turn but he'll go to work and they'll try and get that kind of vertical entry or the high low look to him so i think he's done a really really good job at mastering how to post pin make himself available and sort of change the look defenders give him instead of coming down setting on the left block and you know defenses last year could sort of anticipate he's going to run to that spot they're going to run action they're going to try and clear out a wing they're going to swing it and dump it in we can send help from the baseline side with a guard and we can get a hard double so just the way he's able to position and get looks now is different. When he gets catches, I think the one thing is impressive. He doesn't immediately go looking to finish with a left hook over the right shoulder. You'd see that. He'd catch. He'd maybe give a nod to serving, but then he'd immediately put the ball down and go. And that help defender would wait until that first dribble came down and then the swipe is there. Now he's catching. He's kind of holding for an instant. Then he'll go to work. He'll survey and wait to see if the help defender's coming. Or... If he doesn't feel like he's got the right post position, like sometimes he'll get posted up the lane a bit, not directly on the block, but probably mid post. And he'll catch, he'll reestablish, or he'll throw back out and kind of reestablish post, look at it again. But the one thing I like is that he's now got that kind of reverse pivot wheel out move to a fadeaway, which he's never really had like a great counter. But that counter works to his strong hand, and it also is really, really, I think, 
I mean, sometimes you have baseline drop steps that'll happen, and that'll get you to a spot where you can beat the defender. But I like that because he's rolling away from the help side defender. But that spin out also lets him see the weak side of the floor where there's some exchange that happens or some screening action. So he's just playing a little bit slower. His pre work on the post looks a little bit more, you know, thoughtful. And now if that you know reverse you know kind of face up or fade away is working for him, now he's not stuck with one move and sort of in a bind if that doesn't work and where he's turned into pressure and he can get the ball stripped. So I think just there's been some work on the offensive end too that I think to carry over to your point, so many of his fouls on the defensive end are carried over from a bad possession offensively. And if he's more at ease offensively and he's got that toolkit down there, I think it's easier for that headspace to be cleared for him to do things like play vertical to be mindful of that when he's rotating or to be in the right position when he's coming over to give help. So just, I, I thought some nice kind of carry over there for, for him at, at both ends of the floor. So as far as what we've seen, um, I mean, has there been anything that you've been surprised by? Um, I think last night, you know, I just looked at it, you know, Missouri basically won that game in 11 minutes of like real time last night. You know, they were plus 30 in their best stretches over 11 minutes, minus 22 the rest of the night, which I think sort of speaks to your point. Like, they didn't play their best, but you could see, like, it's really obvious. Like, when I went back through my notes today and watched a little tape and then went back through the thing, like, there were three distinct periods where they played better than Oregon. And after that, it was kind of, you know, there were, or they started settling for jumpers at the end of the first half. Oregon started trimming into the lead. I think they made a big mistake in pace out of the locker room. I think that they were really committed to getting back to Tillman inside and they ran some more traditional half court stuff and it got the pace where Oregon wanted it. Oregon presses, but they don't want to play fast. Like I think they're like usually around, they're usually lower than 300th nationally in tempo. So Oregon got the pace where it wanted. And, you know, late, obviously they kind of made some final pushes when Amaruri got back on the floor after the 10 minute mark. But again, like we said earlier, Missouri's best stretches tended to come after Oregon made a, had a flurry or made a little bit of a push. So you can kind of go back and diagnose what happened there. Um, I think, you know, we were sort of joking about Pinson earlier. I think the one thing I'm surprised by is just kind of how quickly you've seen the rotations kind of settle into a pattern already. Cause that was something that, now, I know last year we were pretty, we could be, you know, uh, <laughs> harsh about that, you know, they would roll so many bodies through, you didn't get a chance to see which combinations worked. They kind of, again, against ORU, it was very clear to see what combinations didn't happen. And when they saw it again on Wednesday night, they immediately pivoted. So I think that was heartening, was to see them kind of go, okay, we're, we're going to, we're not going to ride with that anymore. So I think that, that was sort of heartening to see kind of the rotations already kind of have a really solid form, which I guess I shouldn't be surprised by. You have veterans. You should know what they do well. You should understand how they fit together. And you should understand the dynamics of what you're trying to do as you sort of figure out lineups. So, but still, we critiqued you know them for being kind of all over the place with how they would sub guys. And you can clearly see a pattern and clearly see kind of a logic behind how they're putting together some subunits behind the starting group. So that, that was heartening to see. So then as we sort of move 
ahead. Um, obviously, pandemic's still happening. Not entirely sure, you know, if the next game, whatever the next game is going to happen. But as of today, um, Missouri has two basketball games next week. Um, or I guess upcoming uh, Sunday, they are supposed to travel to Wichita State. Um, Wichita State, I think we've already kind of talked about. Uh, Greg Marshall is no longer the coach there. Wichita State, if you're into the transited property um, thing, played Oral Roberts on Wednesday and won by five at home. Um, if you remember, Missouri won by more than five at their own place against Oral Roberts. Um, so if the transitive property works, Missouri should win by, uh, at, at, yeah, at least. Um, but, 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 but give a five-point home court advantage to uh, Wichita State, so it's 15. So right now, Ken Palm has this as a four-point Missouri win. Um, Wichita State's got a nice little roster. Uh, Just not a lot of depth right now. Not a lot of depth. It's a lot of transfers. Um, I was always a big fan of Altariq Gilbert when he was coming out of high school. He dealt with a lot of injuries, never quite put it together. Um, but I always thought he was going to be a, like a really good player. Um, went to UConn and, and just, like I said, just really had a, a tough time um, staying healthy. Uh, they've got uh, who? Morris Udezi. He's still there. He's... Kind of I think big... the biggest, I think the biggest difference for them is that like they've they lost their top four players in the rotation. Eric Stevenson transferred to Washington. Yeah, they had uh, a lot Jam- of transfers. Jamarius Burton went to Texas Tech. I think Grant Sherfield's at Nevada. Like that's and then they uh, Jaime Ekanik is a senior, so he's gone. Like you look at like Morris Daisy's considered a major player. He only played 23% of available minutes. Etienne was a starter, but low, low usage, only like 17% usage. Wade played 58% of minutes, 17.3% unit usage. Dexter Dennis, who's getting a start, is eight. They they don't have a lot of depth, and the guys that are elevating right now were mostly role guys a year ago. And so that puts a lot of pressure on your Daisy. And, uh, at the end, so and they've got a new coach, or not a new coach, but they've got an interim coach. It's just if if you're, I'll say it again. I'll, what I said earlier: if you're a tournament team and you've got a team like Wichita State that's just in a massive state of flux, even if you are going on the road, this should be a game I think that you, that you walk out with a win. If you're a quality tournament team, just circumstantially. <laughs> oh, Wichita State's not in a good way right now, um, and so you want to try and, and it, but it, it still could just it'll still wind up being on that quad one or quad two line. So I don't care. You don't care what state they're in. Just get it in and get it on your resume. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Missouri should win that game. Um, then there's this university out of uh, Virginia, plays in the A-Sun Conference, little school called Liberty. Um, I'm glad we're playing, I'm glad Mizzou's playing them and, you know, not SLU. Just, why would you want to play another quad one team in your own state when you can pick Liberty? 
which has not had a I just uh, we, we've talked about it I, I I just dislike one I have one we have qualms with the institution as a whole two given Liberty's institutional approach to said virus whether is also concerning um, and then just I would rather watch them play slower Missouri State. Like, I would rather have, like, tried to get... And I don't really care about people's arguments that, oh, there's more for, for Mizzou to lose than to gain. I don't care. I want to, I'd rather watch Hassan French and Jeremiah Tillman go at it. I'd rather watch Mark Smith try and check Jordan Goodwin. Like, that's what I want to watch. Right. Uh, it, and Liberty picked off South Carolina and... And Mississippi State. And Mississippi State. Mississippi State is bad. <laughs> so They're very bad. Very, very bad. Um, and South Carolina always, they have a knack for dropping two or three non-con games they shouldn't. And usually one or two of them are in Columbia. And, and Mississippi then, State uh, just beat Texas State. Um, by four, 17. I mean, the Bobcats are feisty. The Bobcats <laughs> are very feisty. So... I'll have to dig more into Liberty's current personnel, but just, again, 120 team in Kim Palm. If you are a top 40 team and you are playing Liberty at home, you should you should win that game. You should be 4-0 going into bragging rights in 10 days. Leading into the game against Missouri, Liberty will be taking on Bluefield. I think that's an NI. Like that's a, they're not even like an NAI team out of Virginia. I think I've heard of Bluefield. Um, they're like a, a Christian conference thing, which, hey, makes sense, but... Bleh. Sorry, I just like, I, I such a distaste for them even playing this game. But they should win it. That's, that's, but again, they should... And however much they win it by, it will not be enough. <laughs> like, I want them to beat them by 50, and that won't be enough. They've added Prairie View A&M on the 16th. Which, again, um, I'm glad that we're going to be helping a SWAC program uh, meet Phil's athletic budget. Um, well, I wonder, like, you know, I know buy games Pre- are, are a big thing. Uh, well, Prairie View was on the original schedule, I think, too. So it may have just been before everything got blown out. Prairie like, View was on the original. We'll, so they may have, they we'll may pay, have just We'll pay it. for what? Your, like, hotel room and... and- and money to get get to Columbia, uh, but otherwise, like yeah, there. I, I just can't imagine a lot of department uh, athletic departments at this point are cutting a lot of checks. Um, but you know, point being, if you're looking at the rest of the schedule, Illinois, the game that I think everyone's gonna have circled there. If if you walk out with wins over Oregon, Wichita State, and Illinois. You've, you've aced non-con. It's, that, that's three quad one and quad two wins right there. You are probably not favored against Oregon or Illinois, so you flip two games into your win column that you know most people would might not have projected in the preseason. So that that's what they've got in front of them right now. This is, you know, if the, and if they can do that, they might be undefeated going into SEC play. That, But they got to get past, I don't want to, 
weird things happen sometimes on the road. Weird things have happened in this pandemic in terms of scheduling teams. So if they can get around Wichita State, you feel pretty good about them coming out of this non-con stretch at, you know, six and one at worst. Yeah. So, and that, you do that and you go 10 and eight in the SEC, you are probably getting an NCAA bid. So there's, you can see the stakes already for them here with two more key uh, quad one games on the schedule. Yeah, I think I think this next week is important to come out of that, you know, 2-0. and You really want to be 4-0 um, going into the Bragging Rights game. If you're 4-0, uh, or, yeah, Prairie View's after Illinois, yeah. right? Yep, they're on the 16th. So, uh, yeah, so if, if you're 4-0, you know that you're very likely to beat Prairie View, Prairie View, um, and you should beat Bradley also. I think it takes a lot of pressure off whether or not you beat Illinois. Um, obviously, we want to beat Illinois, and I think this team absolutely can beat Illinois. Um, you know, you and I kind of talked as we were watching, you know, Baylor just sort of grind Illinois into dust. You know, that I, I've, I've always sort of felt that even though Missouri is not as talented of a roster, um, there's a level of toughness in this roster. And, and particularly, you know, like the, uh, the, the personal feelings of Javon Pickett and how he was treated by the Illinois staff, uh, somebody who was signed at Illinois and, and pretty much just let go. Um, it obviously means a lot for Missouri, and I don't think that has yet to really click in for, um, for for lack of a, a better term, some of the hired guns um, at Illinois. Like I just don't think that the emphasis on the game against Missouri has quite been there uh, so far. Yeah, I always sense a little bit more of the animosity on the Missouri side just because Mark Smith did not have a great experience there. Um, you know, Pickett was basically said, go be a free agent. Um, and, you know, Xavier Pinson is a Chicago kid who knows Io, has played, you know, Io and Adam. There's, there's high school rivalries there with Simeon and Morgan Park. So just always feel like the chip on Missouri's shoulder is always a little bit bigger there and you know also you know you look at io and you look at adam morgan both like consensus top 50 guys from the jump you know came in with a lot of buzz and pinson a guy who kind of had to going into his senior year really had to like make or break to get a high major offer so he was committed to kent state yeah he was committed to a mac program he was a mid-major kid and then decommitted to oh and once there was some staffs that showed interest so do think there's just a little bit of a psychological thing where Missouri guys have just a little bit more um, grist to mill as far as animosity towards Illinois. Um, but as Illinois says, they're everyday guys, Sam. That's the motto. Mm-hmm. Everyday guys. Um, branding always works. But, yeah. Um, that got ground into dust by Baylor. Baylor's just tough as shit. <laughs> <laughs> they are, man. Like, I, honestly, like, I, I, I watched uh, segments of Illinois' first few games. They, I mean, it's easy to look great when you're playing uh, Sister Mary's of the Poor, um, which was amounts to the first part of their schedule. 
so, you know, but they they still like I watched enough of them last year. I was buying into a little bit of the hype. Um, I think they absolutely deserve to be a top twenty-five uh, program oh, preseason. Um, probably top fifteen. I mean, bringing everybody back. You know, Io is was looking so unbelievably good uh, for the second half of the season last year. Um, I think I kind of lost track of what I was saying, but uh, yeah, they were they were they were put under the they're not they're they're not on the same level of Baylor right now, and I think there's maybe a very very small handful of teams um you know Gonzaga being one of them Baylor uh I think like Gonzaga Baylor one two in the country and everybody else right now is 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 playing for kind of next up I think there's a a group of teams that have a chance to be kind of in that level um with Gonzaga and Baylor um Virginia Iowa and and the like Kansas in that sort of mix there. Yeah, I mean a lot of like really good teams. Um but man, yeah. <laughs> Baylor and Gonzaga. I have you gotten a chance to watch the Zags at all? Uh I got the chance to watch the Zags just absolutely demolish Auburn and that I Auburn's that was probably, that was fun to watch. That was probably <laughs> that's probably I think I agree with Corey Keyes when he said that Auburn, that's probably the least skilled Auburn team we've seen in a couple of years there. There was, it was, it was a bloodbath. And well, and seeing like, the, like the, Drew, a, Drew Timmy, um, say, honestly, like if you're a college basketball fan, make some time to watch, uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. They, they are two of the better college basketball teams, um, that I think I, I've, I've seen in, in like, several years i mean they are just elite uh they play well together um they're they've got teams like three four guys who could be the star but are more than happy to defer it at any given time uh drew timmy on gonzaga is he just puts on a clinic every time he walks out of the court um footwork is so good. i mean his, his footwork's good footwork's good his, his skill level is just through the roof he he looks like he He's about forty years old. I mean, he's got like the beard and the headband. <laughs> it's just like strong, strong YMCA vibe. Yeah, yeah. He just like he absolutely, uh, and he just goes out and just kills everybody. Um, and Jalen Suggs is a pleasure to watch. Um, Corey Keesbert is just you know, a solid. Yeah, you know, he's their metronome for him. Just and the their offense they run is just. The continuity ball screen offense they run is just gorgeous. It's Andrew Nemhart actually looks like he belongs in an offense. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> you mean to tell me that Mike White is not designing elite offenses to maximize his, his talent? No, I'm shocked. I no. I, I have a, a story I should probably tell you uh, off the air. I probably shouldn't even uh, talk about it, but um, one of my my coaching buddies had some thoughts on Mike White that I think you would appreciate. That, that I want to hear that. <laughs> no, if they if they, I think our point here is that Illinois has got look. I watch Illinois and they've got a. I love all their individual components. Like whenever I got to see Adam Miller in high school, that dude's just built. He's a physical specimen. Plays hard. Is assertive. Great. Io's Io's put on some weight. The jumpers come around. Looks great. 
Um, I love, I wish Bezanishvili was still kind of getting some more run early. I love when he plays in high-low with Kofi. But they just, you know, um, Curbelo, their other freshman, needs calories in a weight room, but he's got great vision, great instincts, patient when they run ball screen action. They got a lot of dudes. And so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, normally if we had done this and it was in a packed Missouri arena with fans there, I would have taken Tigers. But I'm going to be curious to see what it's like if, when there is no juice in the building. Because I think Missouri fed off that too the past couple of years. You know, you could sense that they that those guys had chips on their shoulder. The building got behind them a little bit more and they rode it. It'll be interesting to see what happens in really just an empty building and you know where that juice comes from and who has more of it. So that's that's going to be fascinating to watch when we get there. Yeah, I think at this point, I think I I give the edge to Illinois, um, but it's a it's a slight edge. Like there are a lot of intangible things that uh, if like I'm going to be critical of Illinois and and the the type of team. I mean, like I, I use the term hired guns um, a little jokingly earlier, but. I'm not entirely sure that's not true. Uh, Illinois has a lot of sort of um, like assassin vibe, you know, like when you when you hire uh, a force of people to do a job, and um, and and not really like in it for the team or or the culture. Um, they are far more talented than Missouri. Um, you know, I, 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 I think there's probably uh, at least two guys who are going to, you know, play in the NBA. Uh, and I don't think Missouri has anybody who's going to play in the NBA. But, but, if, but like, that's the thing. Like, that's when you, t- when you, you talk get... about like the last two years, like Missouri really didn't have any business beating Illinois the last two years. And they did. And, and why it's, it's, because of those kind of intangible things, it's because of the chip in the shoulder that they bring. I do think like it'll be interesting to see the game. I, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Illinois win by ten. It wouldn't surprise me to see Missouri win by fifteen. Like I just think it's going to come down to you know who hits a couple shots at the right time and whether the other team can rebound. And I would put more money on Missouri rebounding than than Illinois. Yeah, and if. I think the difference will be if Tillman's locked in the way he has been the, out of the gate here, that's that that blunts a huge, huge problem in Kofi Cokeburn. And I, I think Missouri's guards the last couple of years have just, they get an Illinois shirt and they just show a level of tenacity. But if you've got Tillman on the floor on the back end, rim protecting, it, it suddenly uh, makes uh, Io attacking downhill and Adam attacking down the hill have a little bit more to deal with so it'll be fascinating to see what happens when we get there well, i didn't really uh intend for this to be like a bragging rights preview but we kind of turned into that it did turn into that because um, we're, we're uh, wichita state's a mess yeah i mean really like missouri should win at wichita state like if they don't pull out a win um with a healthy roster then like they have bigger problems than than we've seen so far this year uh, I just think like they're they're able to kind of get out and and get some easy baskets and get some separation. They should probably win by ten or fifteen points. 
Um, so we're now that like the season is on, we're gonna do this weekly, right? Yeah, that that's the plan. Yeah. Okay. The masses won. So next week we'll be back to kind of talk about what happened at Wichita State, what happened against uh, Liberté, and uh, and we'll. I guess try to do a little more previewing of uh, we'll have more data points to talk about Missouri and Illinois and what we might be able to expect um, so I think I think that'll that'll be helpful uh, if you aren't subscribed please subscribe uh, rate us tell us all the good things that you like about the pod um, if you have any questions that you want us to hit on feel free to uh, at me or Matt on Twitter we will uh, always take questions and, and try to answer them as earnestly as possible um, I've been doing a lot of less tweeting from my own account and more from Rockham Nation account. Uh, so I, I still check my account. It's just it's a lot going on these days. Um, but definitely at Matt, at me, uh, at Mitch for any and all of your problems. Uh, and we will be back next week with more dive cuts. Uh, so until then, thank you for tuning in.